This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Dr. Ishna Sharma, current bariatric, metabolic, and minimally invasive surgery fellow at Mayo Clinic's Rochester campus. Obesity has become a significant public health crisis in both the U.S. and around the world. Obesity is a chronic disease and requires a multidisciplinary effort, of which one pillar is medical therapy. Approximately 15% of all U.S. adults try a weight loss supplement at some point in their lives. Several of these supplements and pharmaceuticals are FDA approved at this time. This episode is focused on how a primary care provider can help guide a patient through medical weight loss. This episode will look at aspects including current medical weight loss options, the short-term and long-term effects of these options, and how to continue caring for a patient through this journey. Today, we're joined by Dr. Maria Colazzo-Clavel, a Mayo Clinic endocrinologist specializing in obesity, who will help guide us in answering these questions and more. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Colazzo-Clavel. It's my, ple- my pleasure to be here. Thank you. So Dr. Colazzo-Clavel, how do you start the conversation with a patient who comes in and wants to discuss weight loss? So I recognize that when I see patients for weight loss, somebody has already opened the door and had that conversation. So when I walk in, I know most patients are interested in talking about their weight and their options. That's not the same when somebody's seen their primary care doctor, right? When they maybe went in to see the doctor because of joint pain or some other health issue. And at that point, they may not be completely ready to talk about their weight. However, when I do visit with a patient initially, I always try to clarify kind of their expectations. I see that you're referred to me to talk about your weight and give them the opportunity to kind of give a sense of where are they at, you know, kind of often some patients will might review some of their frustrations that they've had in the past. They might share some of their goals when it comes to health and weight. And it just uh, sets the stage to have a good interactive conversation. All right. And then where do you find in the weight loss journey, are you meeting most of your patients? Have they been trying for years to lose weight or have they just kind of come to their attention that they need to do something about their weight? I would tell you that most patients that I see have have struggled with their weight uh, for some time. I'm a big fan of looking at weight journey. So in electronic medical records, we have access to weights that have been recorded over time. And I find looking at those quite valuable. I typically will go back five or 10 years. And it gives me a sense of, you know, when we see all these weight trajectories and I see a weight loss, it gives me an opportunity to ask the patient, you know, I noticed you lost weight at this time. What did you try then? If I notice a weight gain, I ask, you know, I'm trying to get a sense of what are the contributors to weight gain, the common ones being changes in activity, health issues, medications that can sometimes contribute. And and it just kind of uh, allows me to kind of learn more about that patient. And it gives patients the opportunity to share some of that journey. But when I'm seeing them at that time, in my mind, I want to get a sense of, are they actively gaining weight? Are they weight stable or is their weight trend down, which to me often means that people have been trying to make some changes to their eating and activity habits. And I will tell you that my conversation does vary depending on those. If somebody's actively gaining, again, I'm trying to identify what's happening because whatever's contributing to weight gain is going to be an obstacle to losing weight. So just giving you an example, if somebody recently quit smoking, You know, we know that can be associated with weight gain, but it's a huge health benefit to quit smoking. So acknowledging that if somebody recently 
needed a steroids for a reason, or if somebody has had an injury and they can't be as active. So identifying those factors is really quite important. All right. So once you have a sense of the patient's individual weight loss journey and kind of what they've done so far, how do you decide if they're a candidate for some sort of medical pharmaceutical option? And then if so, how do you decide which one is best for them? Yeah. Again, being in the medical field, our hope is to improve or protect health. So I always go over with patients kind of trying to identify health goals. So we do calculate BMI and there's BMI criteria that's necessary to consider these medications over 27 in the presence of a health condition or over 30. So it helps me kind of assess for that. When it comes to identifying health goals, I really find that quite helpful because it does set the stage when it comes to how much weight does my patient need to lose to achieve that goal. So an example, if somebody has prediabetes and their goal is to avoid developing diabetes, I know that if I can help that person lose 5 to 10% of their weight, their risk of developing diabetes goes down. However, if I'm seeing someone with a diagnosis of diabetes and their hope is to have remission of their diabetes, I know more weight loss is often necessary in the order of 20% or higher to achieve that goal. So to have kind of that conversation, and then that allows me to talk about, okay, what therapies do we have available that will help you achieve that goal? And it opens the door to which medications are more likely to help you achieve that 5% weight loss, that 10% weight loss, or over 20% with some of the newer medications. So it helps set the stage. When it comes to deciding which medication, obviously like any other medication, we're looking at health history, we're looking at drug-drug interactions. For women in childbearing years, you know, we have to be careful about pregnancy with some of these medications and also cost because although it is getting better, Many insurance companies don't necessarily cover many of these medications. So a good part of my visit does touch on cost and coverage and what are options available to them. How can we circumvent that if possible? Because it is very frustrating for people to receive a prescription that they cannot afford or get. So I, I tend to have that conversation even before I give the prescription. That's an excellent point is not just prescribing a patient a medication, but ensuring or at least talking to them about how they're going to acquire it and be able to use it. I have to ask you about Ozempic. That's kind of all, as you know, all the rage in social media and in the news these days, but it, it's just one of many medications. What do you find are the most common medications you use? Is Ozempic one of those? Or Yeah, so Ozempic, the generic is semaglutide. And semaglutide, it's Ozempic for people with diabetes. It is Wigovi for people without diabetes. It's actually not the same, the first of its type to be released. The first one was liraglutide, which in people with diabetes, it's called Victosa, and people without diabetes is called Sosenda. And by far, they are the most effective medications available. There are others that are oral medications. They have different mechanisms of promoting weight loss, but they do mainly affect appetite. But certainly the semaglutide, which is the Ozempic or the Wigovi, as of today, is the most effective. And by that, I mean helping the most people lose the most weight. Some people may achieve weight loss comparable to bariatric operations. For example, some people can lose 20 to 25% of their weight, which is kind of what we would expect with a sleep gastrectomy in many people. There are actually newer medications in the pipeline that are actually have even better results. 
than those that are available. So it's actually a very exciting time when it comes to therapies for, to manage excess weight. And therapies that are based on physiology it, are based on understanding what are the aspects that make our patients struggle with their weight. You know, for many years, we just blamed people when it came to disciplined and all that. But the fact is that there are differences in how our patients that struggle with their weight handle food, how they experience satiety, that sense of satisfaction after a meal. And these therapies target that. It's important to remember, just as you said, that obesity is a disease process and it often requires a multidisciplinary look at how best to manage it long-term for a patient. For a PCP who uh, maybe a patient is coming to who's already on one of these medications or is asking about these medications, how can a PCP help counsel a patient? Are there resources we direct them to or it's a specialty into itself, but how would you guide a PCP through this? Well, in the past, what's happened with many medications for weight loss is that we had a horrible history, right? They were associated with significant side effects. Studies were not long, so we didn't have a lot of long-term safety data. But that's different today. Even with the oral medications, for example, the combination of fentramine and tropiramate has now been around for over for about 10 years. We have safety data eight years. Medications like the semaglutide and loraglutide have been around for over 10 years in the management of diabetes. We've become a lot more comfortable with their long-term safety, which allows us to treat obesity as a chronic disease. So for a long time, we didn't treat obesity. We, we said it was a chronic disease, but we didn't treat it as such. We always are thinking about short-term diets or short-term medications, but we're recognizing that when therapies are effective, people may need to be on them long-term for at least more than two years. And again, as we become more comfortable with their use, then my hope is that primary care providers, number one, learn more about them, I'm hoping that we overcome some of the challenges that are currently present when it comes to prescribing and coverage. I honestly already notice that things are better and that they feel comfortable with their long-term use. Just like often primary care professionals don't question why somebody has to be on Ocempic for the management of their diabetes for two, five, 10 years longer. The same thing should happen with Wegovy, which is the weight loss preparation for semaglutide. If something is effective, we really should not question as to whether should, people should stay on it. That makes a lot of sense. Outside of pharmaceuticals, are there other supplements or medical therapies that you find effective for patients or uh, you've seen the use of recently? So other therapies other than kind of the injectables you're thinking? Right. Or just things that are not necessarily even pharmaceuticals, but that are yeah. over the counter available or, or even just medical therapies outside of the pharmaceutical world. Yeah. See, the challenge with many of the nutritional supplements for weight management is the fact that, you know, they're based on physiology or, but unfortunately they really haven't been tested when it comes to how efficacious are they in promoting weight loss? How safe are they long-term? So often when patients come to me, with supplements and often they might be participating in some commercial program that they're being giving supplements. Some of the supplementation might be just 
re replenishing multivitamins or vitamins, which often if somebody's pursuing weight loss, it's not a bad idea. But there's very little in the literature to support any specific supplements when it comes to efficacy for weight loss and long-term. In those situations, I want to make sure safety, that there hasn't been reported anything unusual that could be a negative to that patient's health. But yeah, right now, most of the effective medications or substances are prescription. All right. Um, and in terms of a PCP guiding a patient or patients in general, are there any vetted resources that you find helpful online or um, just resources in general that can help patients navigate their journey through this? Yeah. You know, I, I would tell you that definitely, as you know, the management of excess weight or obesity is, is a multidisciplinary endeavor. So I encourage primary care providers to kind of arrange their team, right? Identify a dietitian who they can work with regularly to kind of answer those questions that their patients may have about, I'm doing this with my diet and how many calories are in a banana, which I don't feel a physician really needs to be answering. The behavioral component can be really important. Many of our patients do struggle with mood disorders and managing that becomes important. There's a great resource online, which is called Psychology Today, which is a website where you put in your zip code and it brings up providers that can actually offer services anywhere from depression to actually behavioral health for weight management. So for it, for physicians or other providers that don't have readily access to something like behavioral psychology, Psychology Today website is a great website. So I feel having a good supporting cast, you know, nurses, nurse practitioners when it comes to follow-up for those patients who might benefit from bariatric surgery, you know, making the connection with a bariatric program who you feel you're well-informed, you're, you have a good connection. It's going to be really much easier. I know this can be challenging and many primary care providers or physicians may not feel as comfortable and having that supporting cast can really help with that learning curve of, okay, what can I manage myself? What can a dietitian manage? What can a nurse manage? Okay, when do I need to refer to behavioral psychology and when do we need to consider bariatric surgery? We'll provide a link for psychology today below in our uh, description. Dr. Colazzo-Clavel, what are some takeaways or learning points from today's discussion overall for PCPs? Yeah. I would like PCPs to be aware that they're already aware that obesity is an epidemic that opening the door for that discussion with the patient is very important. And I can see how it can be challenging during busy clinical days, but I would have them touch on the topic with the patient to see if the patient's open for that discussion. So it might be some of the health conditions that you have would improve with weight loss. Do you mind chatting about that and, and maybe discuss options? And studies have shown that if the patient says no, to leave it alone. Don't pursue it any further. But often patients, you've already opened the door. So the patient feels comfortable coming back to you and said, you know, the last time you talked about this and I wasn't ready, but I am now. So it doesn't completely shut the door. If the patient says, yes, I am interested, but you find yourself short in time, the worst thing you could do is probably rush through it. Probably the best thing to do is to say, well, let's set up another visit and talk just about this. And if you don't feel comfortable, then refer. 
to a provider that you know either can provide medications or consider bariatric surgery. But my hope is to uh, have primary care providers feel more comfortable with this discussion because, and kind of open that door and have the patient feel comfortable discussing it. We've been talking about obesity and medical weight loss with Dr. Maria Colazzo-Clavel. Thank you for your time, Dr. Colazzo-Clavel. Thank you. If you have enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcast, please follow us as we continue our special series on obesity. If you would like to earn CME credit for this obesity-related series or other Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please visit ce.mayo.edu. Thank you for listening and tune in next week as we learn more together.